won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, Citizen Civ. You've tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 96 and was recorded on November 6th and was made available for download on Tuesday, November 10th over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff. Well, what have we got this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we check in with a lot of our favorite projects that we've reported on throughout the year. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including the weekly crowdfunding update, 10 for the Writers, Episode 6, Around the Verse, Season 2, Episode 6, and the latest news from the monthly report. In Nuggets for Nuggets, we tune into the UESC for a bit of retail therapy. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and Sivs, you can help us bring you more of the show you love by visiting our website, cardfrequency.com, and clicking on the Patreon button. For the low, low price of a buck twenty-five per episode, you can become a backer and get access to the unedited recordings of the show a whole three days before our Tuesday release. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. Thanks to everybody who's contributed in the past, and we hope you contribute again in the future as we do a little bit of a format change, starting with episode 101. The more support we get, the better show we can make. And that takes care of all the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the school box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This week, I'm going to update you guys on some of our recurring topics of interest here at the Squawk Box. Uh, these events are developments of ongoing stories and should be taken with variously sized grains of salt. I'm going to do it in order from, like, Salt Shaker all the way up to Great Salt Lake. First up, the New Horizons probe just finished a series of four burns that have adjusted its headlong plummet into the void ever so slightly. It is now on course for a poetically named little garden spot of our solar system, named 2014-MU69. They've got to start coming up with some better names. I mean, Nimrod was... You know what? As a matter of fact... Nimrod's orbit lies about a billion miles farther out than Pluto, which, for those of you keeping score at home, is already about 3.6 billion miles from the Sun at this point in its orbit. This makes it the longest distance remote course correction in space history. Mission directors report that the burns went as planned and that New Horizons should pass even closer to Nimrod than it did to Pluto. Uh, Here's the salt grain, though. NASA still has to formally approve the mission extension to study Nimrod when it passes by that little planetoid in 2018. I can't see them pulling funding at this late date, but, you know, you never know. Next up, our pet fighter jet, the Textron Scorpion ISR. Uh, Now, the the article's title that I got this news from uh, was in the form of a question. And as we all know, when that happens, the answer found in the body of the article to that question is no. So when the title is, Is Textron Airland Scorpion Close to Its First Customer? You'll see why this didn't get a Squawk Box segment all to itself. Uh, However, the article did reveal yet another use for the modular little jet, a fake FA-18. As we've already covered exhaustively here, the F-35 is not exactly on track to be useful anytime soon. Uh, Although the A version did manage to shoot its gun in flight, so yay. 
In any event, the service lives of existing airframes in the U.S. and Allied fleets are going to have to get extended. That gets expensive quickly. If you can't extend the lives mechanically, then you have to do it logistically, which means cutting training and proficiency flights to preserve operation time, which means a problem for readiness when you send pilots in the air that aren't in the air very often. Enter the twin-tailed twin-engine Scorpion with its open architecture mission software and flexible payload options. Change a few lines of code, tweak the control inputs, and Scorpion can simulate the flight characteristics of the Super Hornet. Well, at least those within its performance envelope, anyway. Uh, it's cheap, it's flexible, it's got room for a backseat driver. Makes a lot of sense. So the salt almost adds itself. I mean, it makes so much sense, the Navy will probably never go for it. And finally, and really quickly... The magical M-Drive cropped up again. This is the copper kettle drum with the microwaves bouncing around inside it that a private lab affiliated with NASA is shopping around. Uh, excuse me, testing out. Um, apparently, they've added some more magnetic shielding and got better thermometers and are still seeing what they call anomalous thrust signals. Uh, again, this was on a forum post, not a press release or a conference presentation, and they can't say much right now because a peer-reviewed paper is supposedly in the works. So... Open up that salt shaker and get yourself a spoonful. But they do have NASA's JPL in a lab at Johns Hopkins working to replicate their results, so maybe? A nice little roundup there. There was a whole bunch of little news this week, nothing nothing really terribly eye-catching or weird. So Yeah, um, I just want a, a quick question on the first article. Why are we heading to 2014MU69? Because it's there. Oh, okay. Uh, what is it? It's a Kuiper belt object. Ah, I see. It's a teensy little rock. Right. Hence its poetic name. It's Nimrod. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Maybe if NASA had a bit of foresight, they could have equipped the probe with an M drive. Yeah, if, they, if only they um, could have done that. Yeah, they, it's fun to speculate, and it would be really cool if it actually worked. But the, 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 the and I say company because it actually is, you know, it's a separate thing, right? Eagle Works is a Harold Sonny White is the guy that made a Splash a couple years ago saying that he was super close to a warp drive based on Miguel Alcubierre's right. uh, calculations about uh, warping space to, to do that. And now he's now on this M drive thing. So it's the same guy who's just pulling in all these, you know, sort of odd or unusual scientific concepts uh, and, and trying to make something happen with it. And that, I mean, it's cool because someone's taking a chance on this stuff and it's not like you get giant leaps forward in technology by simply just iterating on the same stuff. No, you got to try new and weird things. But it just seems to me a little irresponsible or, I don't know, attention-grabbing to come out with a blog post that says, hey, we haven't completely ruled out that it doesn't work yet, sort of. So... I'm a little, I'm, I'm skeptical. One, one of the pieces, and I'll paraphrase this because I don't want to take so much time, but uh, in other news... As much time as I do. Yeah. In other news, NASA seeks explorers for future space missions. The agency will accept applications from December 14th through mid-February and expects to announce candidates selected in mid-2017. Applications consideration is a NASA astronaut will be accepted at usajobs.gov. They won't take immortals, I'm sorry, uh, but... Uh, oh, what a shame. But uh, any of you other spacefaring wannabes, uh, NASA has opened up the door, and you can make your applications. Do they take uh, chubby white guys? Because I'm totally in that group right there. I don't know if they have a need for lawyers in space. 
Oh, man. Now they're definitely going to keep me out. Not not yet, anyway. I could have told them I was like a pizza delivery guy or something. They probably would have done that. You know, when, when we establish our first moon colony and we actually get, you know, some citizens off-world, then they'll probably have a need for space lawyers. Yeah, yeah, when, when they have their first space car accident. At bare then, minimum, yeah. though, they will have a need for a space, Sean. You can just go up to the moon base and tell everybody how RTs and all this particular thing is. And I'm sure that'll oh, work Oh, well. Boy, there's all kinds of jobs I could do, I guess, up there. We'll just have to wait for the first truckload to get there. According to NASA's administrator, uh, Charles Bolden, he says that the next group of American space explorers will inspire the Mars generation to reach for new heights and help us realize the goal of putting boot prints on the red planet. Oh, yeah, speaking of that, so uh, SpaceX people are like also twittering about some new fantastic thing that Elon Musk is going to come out and say in the next weeks and or months or something. Like, oh, but they can't tell us. Oh, but it's so nice. And some people are speculating that he's previously announced that he wants to announce some sort of Mars mission at the end of 2015. So people are starting to say that, that maybe he's got some new concept for, for that. So I don't know. I really think we're overlooking the moon. I think we really need to establish a, a permanent functioning colony on the moon to propel us to Mars. I, I don't we covered this last week. I the know. Nazis are already there, Jeff. <sighs> Have you ever seen or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for November 6, 2015 is 94,100,000, up about 300,000 from last week. Star citizens now number 1.039 millions, up about 4,000 from last week. And the UE fleet now contains 783,000 nuclear vessels, up about 2,000 from last week. This week saw Will Weisbaum and Adam Weiser sitting down to answer 10 questions from the subscribers. A lot of the questions naturally dealt with the persistent universe, so many of the answers they gave were pretty close to theory crafting, but there were a fair few interesting insights about how the writers are thinking the lore will be shaped by and influence the players. First up, a question from Knight2631 about whether newscasts in the verse will reflect actual events or if they will be used as more retroactive pieces to explain in-universe fiction shifts. For example, kind of what they're doing now where the Vandal attack begets Squadron 42. And the writers explained that if you are on location where the news is breaking, it's very likely you would be able to see or participate in whatever's being reported on. So if the Persistent Universe had been up several weeks ago and you had been in the Vega system near Aramis, you could have gotten caught up in the actual Vandal attack. However, due to the slower communication rate of in-game information, by the time you actually hear of an extra system event taking place on an official in-game news source, it will probably be long over, though it may produce new job prospects after the fact. Later, Doc Andy asked for details on how much CIG is collaborating with the actual scientists in designing lore and gameplay. Adam says that they are in collaboration with a number of legitimate astrophysicists when designing the star map so that the stellar bodies, orbits, and locations of habitable planets make sense. Also, Will added that they have been actively working with the Science and Entertainment Exchange, a neat organization where legitimate scientists donate their time in order to improve scientific accuracy in entertainment endeavors. Interestingly, in addition to the expected problems where real science dulls the fun aspect, they've also encountered some instances where 
accurately representing a scientific principle would result in too much weird to be believed. And they had to cut it in lieu of providing long drawn out explanations as to why it is correct. Fortunately, they didn't give examples, but the smart money's on quantum physics causing those kinds of problems. Damn those quantum physics. I know it. And the final question of note came from Manta78, who wanted to know about the integration of alien languages. The writer said that the current direction suggested by Mr. Roberts was that every player would have a translating program in their Moby Glass that would allow you to get the gist of what was being said in another language. So, you know, enough you could effectively trade with the Banu or convince Jian that X-Wing is a compliment. Uh, however, they do not expect there to be a direct universal translator style attachment that will do accurate full translations, nor will there be a, quote, player skill that can be acquired where your avatar will be able to understand the languages natively. If you want to know exactly what the aliens are saying, you'll have to actually learn the language, and doing so may result in fringe benefits such as extra missions or special information. Yeah, that one there, to me, seemed rather interesting, because I'm curious as to how they're going to get us to go about learning the actual language. I'm imagining it's probably just from immersion or the like, but I think it'd be really cool if there was like some sort of, I don't know, Pimsler's How to Speak Banu, you know, listen to 16 hours of audio where it's like, listen to the following excerpt. <laughs> how are you? Well, I mean, they... <laughs> They've got it for Klingon. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's exactly what I was no thinking. There's no reason why they couldn't do it. Serious game like this should have a galaxy guide that was, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Babblefish. I love it. I love the concept. You know, all the great little things that you can open up your galaxy guide up and, and you know, in the encyclopedia reads it to you one of these days. I've got two problems here, and they kind of overlap, and the, both the language thing and the news thing is that it's introducing sort of artificial barriers. Number one, we, we've talked at length about the whole limitations of speed of light type stuff in between when you can just pop into TeamSpeak and say, hey guys, there's a big attack, come here quick. And the language one kind of does too because you're taking a guy who's supposed to design missions to be played and then you say, well, throw this barrier in there so that only certain people can get the missions. And it has nothing to do with the game system itself. It's not like you have to complete certain objectives first or have a certain amount of money or meet with a certain vendor. It's no, you have to meet with a certain vendor and have knowledge in your own head in order to be able to go take the mission or go do the mission. It just seems to me that introducing these sorts of artificial barriers in the game kind of makes it less fun rather than working with it. it. It's not that it's not cool to have that sort of thing, but it's just, it's no different than the sort of tribal knowledge you get from a lot of other MMOs where I got this trinket and I don't know what to do with it. So you jump on chat and you say, what the hell is this thing? And they go, oh, you go to that star system and turn it into the blue guy. Right. And he gives you a million space bucks. Like, you, Lennon, will probably learn Banu because you think it's fun and cool. <laughs> and because you're our friend and because we like you, you'll probably tell us, go to this guy, click this button, go to the third system on the left. There's a blue guy. He'll give you a million space bucks. I, I'm kind of... Are, are we not envisioning what tech will be like in the 30th century? I mean, wouldn't we just assume that everything is translated because our computers are so far advanced that... That would making that seem more commonplace than it. Well, I mean, we're also shooting down things at World War II speeds. You know, we're also flying spaceships at World War II speeds. I mean, you, you got to do some gameplay things to make it a game. 
my critique would be, is it game worthy enough to introduce these sorts of barriers when what will happen is people will just drive around them? I mean, I, I kind of equate it like now, the, the period of time we are now, it would be like a Roman scene, you know, as far advanced as their civilization was, if they were to suddenly drop into this century right now, they would be aghast by the technological advances that we have. It'd be like us going yeah. from here to the 30th century. All of a sudden, I think we look at the thing through our tech glasses as to what we can do today and not what we can do in the 30th century. Sure. I mean, you know, 1960s Star Trek, I mean, we have a great deal of their science fiction stuff in our lives right now. Of course, we don't have warp drive. We don't have transporters. Dang it. But we do have pads. We do have communicators. I'm sure somebody has a phaser somewhere in some sort of government lab somewhere. Personal, everyday gizmos that were so, wow, 50 years ago are commonplace. I, I think it's tough for humans to see anything beyond maybe a generation or two. Well, that's why I laughed when I first saw the Star Marine proposals. It's like, you know, that could be any weapon on the battlefield today. I mean, you have to make compromises in a game. It has to be recognizable enough that people can pick it up and sort of intuitively go with it. But yes, it has to be sort of odd enough that it takes you to another place and immerses you in a different time. It, it, it's a fine line to ride. And my concern is just the gameplay. You're introducing something people are going to drive around with tribal knowledge anyway. So, And around the verse isn't usually where news drops first. But this week's episode had a few things that will undoubtedly fuel speculation amongst backers and theory crafting amongst podcasters. A studio update from Austin, the studio primarily focused on the Persistent Universe, mentioned that the Grand Bazaar in the Knicks Landing Zone has been, quote, finished. Jake Ross seemed optimistic about the Landing Zone being available, quote, soon, TM. This was partially backed up by the monthly report from Austin, where they added they've spent a lot of time making sure that it is, quote, laid out exactly the way Tony wants, end quote, not me, Tony. Are you sure? Because that's awfully nice of them. Yeah, I, it I would, would be nice, you know, but I have not off. been consulted. They must be listening to the show because, you know, <laughs> it's the game we're making, of course. Of, of course. Well, it's the Knicks landing zone, right? So they've got, they put a Detroit discount in there somewhere. Ah, they've, you know, uh, they've got that, yeah. Well, um, also the anniversary live stream was announced. The actual anniversary is on November 26th, but in the uh, good old US of A, that happens to be Thanksgiving. So the stream is happening instead on the 19th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. PST. I have no idea what that works out in actual real lifetime, but I'm sure Jeff can fill us in later. And whilst that may interest some backers, more people will probably be interested in the anniversary ship sale. Ben has stated that there will be new ships available, along with a number of existing ones. No specific list has yet been released, but popular rumour suggests one of the new ships will be the Crucible Salvage ship. And if you missed that one, there was mention in Reverse Diverse that there will be a holiday livestream on December 16th. Finally, the art sneak peek this week was actually a video. It featured the ejection of a retaliator escape pod, which drifted near to a planet and then was intercepted by an Avenger. The Avenger in question demoed a new ability we have not yet seen. It opened a cargo door in the bottom of the ship and took the escape pod entirely into its cargo bay before jetting away. The Avenger's standard door is in the rear of the ship. There has been no revelation about whether this is a proposed redesign of the ship, a variant component, or a purchasable module. Interesting. Yeah, is this the first ship that we've seen that opens up from the bottom rather than from the rear as well? Uh, technically, the Connie... You can well, access, or I, I guess that's kind of got like the almost like the elevator style thing, doesn't it? But 
yeah. in terms of uh, cargo bay doors. This is the first one. Yeah, that but see, from below, uh, Connie, right? you wouldn't open that door in space. I mean, that that whole bay just drops down on four hydraulic cylinders. Now I can see them having a module which was a pod retrieval system, uh, the yeah. PRS. Now, the PRS could be part of a component that we had, like in my Cutlass Red, already got the, the search and rescue stuff on it, that it could be part of that. And you get close to an area where a pod, you, you activate the PRS and the pod starts coming towards you and you pick it up. That would be awesome. That would totally work. But it's it's funny to me that they chose the Avenger. I know. It's like, yeah. it's a single pilot. Sh- oh, yeah. And I mean, it could be just like we've, talked about a million times before as the game develops things change and so maybe the avengers is going to get retconned into you know not the cop ship but more the the huey helicopter of the uee fleet you know it just goes everywhere and does everything the Uh, avenger no i would say the cutlass would be be more they got the police cutlass they got the rescue cutlass and they got the generic you know workhorse cutlass or even the aurora the aurora could do it you know that's the most untalked about ship i think in the whole fleet but that Aurora... Yeah, the Aurora's the Ford Fiesta. It's the starter. I know. It's the, the Avenger's got like four variants planned. It could be another Cutlass. We've only seen the one so far, but they could be doing that. Yeah. Like, it was just it struck me as weird that they chose the Avenger for it. Because like you were saying, Jeff, I would have I would have thought they would have picked a Cutlass. Cutlass make a lot more sense. A pirate ship, you'd think they'd be out there scooping cargo. It's a small thing that's already got roles for, you know, search and rescue, for police, for other things. It just struck me as strange to see the Avenger in that video. Being the first Friday of a new month, CIG delivered their monthly studio report. Checking in at just under 11,000 words, it qualifies as a short story by the standards of most major publishers. We combed through it and pulled out the most interesting teases and tidbits of information. From Santa Monica, we hear that IFCS Type Assist is being developed for EBA players, the technical documentation for the salvage mechanic is written, and Matt and Calix have been focused on designing EMP and the disruption damage mechanics. And from Austin, we hear that the Million Mile High Club location is on the verge of being released to select backers first. And the in-game shopping at Casabah Outlet is expected to come out with the next release, along with the first rudimentary pass at character customization. From the offices here in good old Blighty, we hear that Wreck is going to be used in the Crusader or Star Citizen Alpha 2.0 map eventually, primarily to purchase quantum fuel at refueling stations. There will apparently be a specific location in Crusader that will host the FPS gameplay. Uh, they are also attempting to make it so the Retaliator can be literally broken in half if it's given an appropriate amount of damage, and there is R&D being done on a unique ship weapon that is apparently challenging the VFX department. And from Germany, we hear that Design has been figuring out how to make modular art objects that can be slotted together to make space stations while still maintaining high fidelity. And from Behavior, we have a mysterious quote, maybe not mysterious, but interesting, we were all quite impressed with your driving skills and your unstoppable determination to drive a buggy inside the G-Lock bar. You created enough scrap metal from those damaged buggies to build an Idris. Well done, all <laughs> you uh, weekend road warriors out there. Moon Collider on the uh, AI front has been working on making that AI less likely to run into objects if uh, they're in the middle of doing some complex maneuvers. And they've also been experimenting with adding death flourishes to destroyed AI craft. Things like spiraling out of control and smashing into stuff uh, before finally exploding into a bazillion pieces. 
And uh, Turbulent has been getting some award attention for their star map. Yes, they've won a lot of awards for that. They even got featured on um, Google Have a place where you can go and see the latest greatest things being built with webgl and so forth and they were actually featured on the front page of that which is quite an achievement it's a fancy little thing maps are just cool lennon you know you and i've had a discussion offline yeah. a couple yeah maps are just cool and it helps make a place real you know if you see where it is in relation to other places i so. agree the map was very uh, cool off. but when they can tie it into my third tablet or you know something that's off screen or and make it you know so i can you know, send navigational coordinates between that and my in-game play, that will be cool. Yeah, one of the things, um, as you know, I've I've asked a certain question uh, several mm. weeks running uh, regarding a certain mode of gameplay that may be available. And uh, from the UK, we hear that there's going to be specific locations around the map that are going to host FPS gameplay. Just to sort of read a bit more in depth on that, they were saying that they've got specific areas where FPS gameplay is going to be available, uh, to quote, for those brave enough to dive in. So that would then imply that outside of that you're not having any fps gameplay that is how i would read it yes okay it kind of got me to thinking especially after the citizen con demo where we saw the uh, marines basically stealing the other person's phoenix you know i was thinking that it would as much as i have great faith in humanity as soon as you stick people behind keyboards and it becomes anonymous the temptation to kind of be a bit of a dick just like increases exponentially and i could just see that we would you know if they didn't lock it down that we would load into crusader we'd get on to our ships we'd fly out to a satellite to repair and then somebody would fly in and shoot you board your ship and nick your ship and then you'd have to respawn and what would that mean for where your ship is could you even regenerate it back in the pads and so on and so forth so i think yeah. that this is actually a sensible decision to take to begin with i hope that they eventually lift the restriction though i hope that they find some way around that Nah, i know nah, i know i like this better. i was gonna say i know this, you're this... not a fan of it but not a fan. Just to clarify, not for like UEE space. Yeah, that that should be pretty much disabled, or oh, you should get like yeah. jettisoned out. But obviously, if you're flying somewhere completely lawless, like Nix, you know, you don't want to have pockets oh, of sure. FPS. You want to have more open FPS rather than controlled. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think every sort of landing zone will need to have a no shooty people place. You know, oh but yeah, yeah. That bubble should be really small. The further out you go lawless places yeah and and the only reason for that is just purely mechanical like if you're spawning into the instance and there's a glitch or something like that you don't want to be standing there completely helpless when somebody walks up and you know caps you in the back of the head yeah of course not i mean i think there's going to need as a practical matter to be sort of a zone where you just physically you know the computer code does not let you do it like for nix that should be like the place where you spawn or the when you jump out of your ship and then the default would be every man for himself Move to cover. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and in and, and more law-abiding places, of course, they expand that to pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't like the whole I, – I, we, we talked about this before. I don't like the whole idea that you can do it anywhere, but in the law, law-abiding law places, there will be super-duper cameras and automated defense turrets. I know. Somebody will find a way to game that. Just turn it off. You know, maybe make maybe make zones on Terra. Like if you go down into that really seedy, you know, stinky place by the garbage incinerator, okay, you can turn it on there. But then for the rest of it, just you, you can't pull your gun out. So you know what time it is? What time is it, Jeff? It's time for news we didn't use.
Starwatch Aid for Aramis learn the outfits and auctions that grace the giant charity event. BTS Persistence commences. Discover the bugs and brilliance of Area 18's design team, reprinted from the September Jump Point magazine. Note from the chairman, Infinity Battlescape. If you aren't going to buy a ship during the anniversary sale, here's another great space sim on Kickstarter. Bug Smashers! Episode 14. Mark speculates on the possibility of Sequest DSV reboot. Also, he fixes a bug or two. And this week's Hazard Index is Rhomboid. Another month, another blog from he who told us to F off. This time he's widening his scope a bit to tackle some not-quite-optimum alleged behavior of some Star Citizen backers. Seriously, guys, here's some advice from your old Uncle Tony. If the angry, litigious, rich guy who spends more time on Twitter than his early access game tells you to F off, just F off. It's absolutely not worth it. Uh, also, I was right last week. He's waiting for the clock to run out on the November 2015 original deadline from the first Kickstarter. If he gets a full accounting, a commitment to refund backers, and a solid release date, he swears he'll back off. Two little problems there. Uh, one, his criteria for satisfaction are uniquely his own, and who knows what'll make him give up this particular hobby. Uh, and two, if he's right about even 10% of his accusations, it won't matter if he doesn't bring his lawsuit and drops this whole thing. Anyway, he wraps up with a neat little bit about how CIG's management is loaded down with refugees from a failed, bankrupt, allegedly Swedish mafia-tied outfit called Gizmondo. And once again, there's just enough facts out there to show he's not completely wrong. But we only get part of his side of the story and, of course, none of CIG's. Yes, a guy named Elms did sign some CIG paperwork, but that's about the extent of it. And, uh, yes, CIG does have a weird and opaque corporate structure, but part of that is the fault of the state of Delaware, whose entire online business entity records system is down. Their database was upgraded in September from tech deployed before I went to high school, and it hasn't gone well. I guess the jump from 1989 to 2015 was just a bit too much. And this week's community question, FPS, should it be everywhere all the time or just reserved for the savory pockets of society and lawless planets? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post in our show's thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news from around the verse, let's check out what we can pick up in the shopping channel in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay that means get on your feet, Nuggets. Hello, Spectrum. This is Brill Haxon on UESC, your source for the best merchandise in the galaxy. Everyone knows the Misk Endeavor. It can find interesting things in deep space, fine-tune your weapons, or fix you up again after those weapons are used against you. Well, now you can have your very own Endeavor model for a fraction of the cost. Here with me to explain is MISC Merchandising Marketing Executive, Bob Bobienski, and Takoetsu Merchandise Specialist, Frank Habersham. Hello, everyone. Hello. So, Mr. Bobienski, MISC wants everyone to have the experience of owning their very own Endeavor? First, I want to say that the MISC stands by its pricing and believes that the Endeavor Starship is reasonably priced for all interested buyers. However, if this wonderful new toy is a fun way to have the same experience in your very own home, thanks to our partnership with Takietsu. 
Wonderful. So, how did your company come up with the design, Mr. Havisham? Well, first I'd like to correct Mr. Bubiansky. This is not a toy. Taikitsu prides itself on producing the most accurate, detailed, die-cast replica ships in the galaxy, like we did with this model. I don't see how anyone could consider it a toy. We want to encourage children to purchase these models and spread the joy of Endeavor ownership to all. Um, I, I really can't recommend that these would be placed in the hands of children. I mean, we built off all of our experience with the whole series models, ones that have the fully articulated cargo arms and the detachable cargo pods. We use that knowledge to accurately reproduce the module attachments for this Endeavor model. Oh, uh, yes, speaking of which, are all the modules for the Endeavor available, Mr. Bobienski? Of course. We had Takietsu produce scaled-down examples of the Biodome Hospital, Launch Bay, and a few other modules as well. Yeah, Super Collider, Workshop, Fuel Pod, Research Lab, Science Lab, Crew Housing, and Deep Space Telescope were the ones that you left off the list there. Um, the replicas are at exactly a 1-500 scale, the modules are even seated correctly. If you put two biodome modules on the model, it correctly prevents a third module from being installed. These are really works of art. Don't say toys again. I mean it. Don't say it. Well, well thank you for your input, gentlemen. Operators are standing by. This limited run model can be yours. Send us a Spectrum Com link or find your local Takoetsu retailer. I, just, I don't get the impression that either of you really understand what these models uh are four and you just need to get your heads on i have i have to leave <laughs> okay well let's cut some footage of a satisfied endeavor customers now <laughs> please okay brill yeah because i care so much about takiatsu customers i really wanted to be moved out of the ship marketing division so i could shill toys to the masses well I, you could have worked up a little bit more enthusiasm i had to do most of the promotion work there between you and mr i'm going to sleep with his mother when i get home oh i'm sorry did doing this prevent you from shipping out to the vega relief telephone oh no wait that was carrie kerrigan got that gig didn't he you know what you can uh, go f guys what Still alive, guys. We don't have any footage of customers. Ah. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendlies. So let's just be friendly. Some say he gets naked and howls at the moon every Tuesday night, and that underneath his beard isn't a chin, just another pun. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Last week's community question, do you think flight modal changes will add delays? Your answers follow. Dilik starts us off by saying, awesome show as always. As for the damage and pipes, having extensively explored the available 3D models, there is definitely wiggle space between the outer hull and the interiors to put the pipes in. Also, the thrust pipes, in brackets, giggity, are not the only pipes that were supposed to go in these models. We also have, according to CRG's previous documents, supposed to be power, heat, data pipes that are already in the schedule. Adding the thrust to the already numerous pipes in the ship shouldn't be a problem. Also, this change has been coming for a while. I've been aware of the flight model changes, based more on the main engine, for at least half a year. This change will be awesome, as now every ship will handle completely differently with varying flight characteristics. As for the new format of the show, have at it. Elite Dangerous, Star Citizen, No Man's Sky, and many other space games are interesting and should be covered. Just cover Star Citizen the same way you have been doing it. Tumblr says, great show, guys. I look forward to listening to your episodes each week, and I'm excited to hear about other space genre games coming out and on the horizon. 
In my opinion, Star Citizens will be a lot happier with other stuff to play while they wait, because I feel like we're in for a long wait still, regardless of what CIG says. I recently picked up Angels Fall First and Rogue System and am planning on trying those soon. Currently playing Divinity Original Sin EE and loving it. Next on my list is Wasteland 2 DC, and then hopefully I can give those new space games a try around the time Elite Dangerous Horizons arrives. Star Citizen has done an amazing job of bringing space games as a genre back, and I think there's a lot out there to be looking at right now. Even Battlefront is relevant since Star Citizen is supposed to have FPS mechanics. I'm also very excited to hear about the flight model changes to the game because we desperately need them. The current flight model is not something I'd ever consider to be the best damn space sim ever, and is the core of what we're trying to do here, so a lot of the other stuff can be unfinished, rough around the edges, and even incomplete, but if the flight model doesn't feel like we're flying massive ships around space, then this whole project is doomed. They should spend a lot more time on the flight model, in my opinion. Look forward to seeing how the new system feels. Rent a Spoon writes in and says, Hi, started listening recently, usually on the drive home. Love the podcast. Yes, I think this will delay the delivery of Star Citizen. However, not by enough, that will be a major issue. I feel like this is much needed, and let's not forget that the remapping of the current model is only one quarter of the full model. While it's taking longer, those that have played from day one, I think we can all agree that this game has gotten better and better and we need to keep innovating rather than settling with that'll do. As for refunds, if they allowed the original Kickstarter backer to refund, I think it would cause a backlash for those that paid via the site to ask for one, as well as it would start a chain reaction of people panicking and wanting out. DS would get an ego boost he doesn't need and just move into the next issue. The man won't be happy until CR and family lids in a cardboard box outside of Mickey D's. Good feedback. Again, some people riffing on um, some of the stuff we touched on a couple weeks ago about our format change. Glad to hear people are you know also interested in other games too. Plans are moving forward. But specifically on the, uh, uh, the flight model stuff, the interior of the ship I thought was already supposed to contain these pipes. I didn't know that it was still a thing that was still to be added. Maybe it's still on the list of things to do. Hopefully that gets to done in the near future. The other part that I thought was uh, uh, interesting in feedback this week was the flight model itself was one of the sort of early criticisms that I had of the game, but in a different way. Elite Dangerous it feels very, very antiseptic. Let's put it that way. It feels very antiseptic. Uh, when you have their flight assist on, and I haven't really flown without it, it's very, very arcadey. You know, it goes back, it harkens back to what I'm familiar with as far as, you know, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter from back in the 90s. So what was cool about Star Citizen was the fact that it felt squishier. I'm assuming that that squishy feel is going to be maintained in the new flight model. Uh, it won't be quite as antiseptic as Elite Dangerous is, but I also hope that the new model doesn't stray from the original vision where if you want it to be dirty, you can make it dirty. But if you want to have the Elite Dangerous experience, you can buy the right avionics package and still get that. I'm hoping that that concept is still alive and well and viable. Yeah, I think so. Given the way that they've gone with things like the uh, comms stab and things, I, I would imagine that it would just be another option. Once you buy the right avionics package, you, you might get a, a toggle switch for that sort of thing. Um, what you were saying about pipes, though, I think, yes, in terms of software pipes as it were connecting the systems that way those are right. definitely in place hardware yeah. pipes i think is still something that do need to be added right but as we all know they constantly reiterate on the ship model and the ship process and the ship pipeline and they go back and retrofit and everything so i'm sure it's coming 
on the horizon soon. And that bothers me a little, but, you know, why yeah. listen to me at this late date? <laughs> and moving on to general feedback, Flint Nefario says, You guys really are nuts. I laughed hard after Jeff read Robbie O'Brien's comment. Nice pause for effect. Big happy face. <laughs> Glad we could entertain. Sean Newboy, our, our consummate write-in, uh, writer, writer, uh, responder, whatever. Wonderful show, everyone. Keep up the great job. Titus Krager says, May want to tell Shiv that the sharp, curvy end of the Ulu does the cutting. Seems you may have hurt his hand using the handle to edit last week's feedback. I'm happy that you won't change how you cover SC, but in order to add more games, has a secret mission been planned to steal the clock Nazi's watch? As always, keep up the good work and get Shiv some bandages. Aim easy, die hard. And Taka says, Another great episode. Funny, insightful, and level-headed as always. Good work and stay classy, guys. Don't worry, Titus. The The problem that we have with Star Citizen these days is that we think, as a sort of natural progression to the events that have happened, they're clamming up with actual news. It used to be real easy to prep this show. We would just pick the three most interesting things and leave everything out. Now it's getting harder to, I don't know, it's, 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 it's not as easy or as fun as it once was to sort of pick and choose what the most interesting things we're to talk about. That it's just part of that develop part of the development cycle too. Things are getting locked down, and you know there's just not as much for them to share because it's all work in progress and and iterating and that kind of thing. So uh, that we're going to probably use less Star Citizen news, but when there's newsworthy things, it will definitely be covered. Uh, but we're going to the expectations of our audience should be set that every week there will be other games in here too. That's that's just going to be the thing. Our new patrons this week, no one. I'm a little sad that there's no one. It's okay, Jeff. We still love you. And the winners of a brand new patch is our Thomas Westman. And this week's community question. FPS, should it be everywhere all the time or just reserved for savory pockets of society and lawless planets? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robberspaceindustries.com. So how was the show? Are we on course for a sweet Kuiper Belt flyby, or should we have taken that left turn at the Pluto Charon roundabout? Either way, let us know. Here's some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. You can subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that'll bring us to the end of episode 96 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 97 on November 17th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down, you can use the contact form on our website. And all the details for all the ways that you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover Star Trek Online and the greatest Star Trek universe. Be sure to trek them out over at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything... Friday nights, and you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central on that Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. 
We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jeff Grant, and our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. This week saw Will Weissbaum and I'm going to do that again. Well, hopefully not that, but, you know. And the in-game shopping app, the Casbah outlet, is expected to come on the next release. Along- I think it's Casaba. Ka- oh, did I, did I say Casaba? Casbah. <laughs> you were rocking the Casbah. Yeah. That's what you were doing. Starwatch, aid for arm. Ah, ooh, I started that <laughs> off good. Bug smashes! Episode 14. Mark speculates on the possibility of Sequest DSV reboot. Also, he fixes a bug or two. <laughs> Any new no. discussion on that one? <laughs> no. Other than, other than no, that, one, that, that last thing, I can't. We can't top that last bit, Jeff. Uh, that last bullet I know, point. I know. I, was, I just you owned it. <laughs> I, th- I think Thank that you. was. I think I even heard it from the UK, not through the speakers. I'm talking like yeah, it literally yeah. reverberated yeah. around the earth. You know, we've got we've done almost 100 episodes and rarely has any host, any of the three of us, any guest host, anybody owned a bullet point the way Jeff just did. <laughs> Grabbed it by the bullet and by the point. Glad I, I could just, add. Wow. Glad I could add. <sighs> well played, sir. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Composure. We are professionals after it. Well, that's right. Well, until we get to the next bit and then it's Tony's turn. Oh, yeah. The doom and gloom <laughs> comes now. Yeah. Well, after that high, here we go. And this week's hazard in... Oh, dang it. I can't, can't hazard even get the title right. <laughs> Jeff, any thoughts? None. No, I, I'm thoughtless. I mean, I have no Okay. <laughs> Big happy face.